Welcome to the Pantsuit Nation podcast. Pantsuit Nation is an online community of 3.7 million people who have come together to build political and social power for women and our allies through activism, advocacy, and the power of personal narrative. Um, As of when this podcast drops, there will be 11 days until midterm elections, so things are really heating up. We're um, seeing an incredible amount of people voting early in Pantsuit Nation, which is really exciting, but we're also seeing a lot of BS out there, like the Trump administration um, trying to erase transgender people from um, essentially policies across the board, which is just something that doesn't actually make transgender people not exist. It just makes them more likely to be subjected to discrimination and miss out on things like healthcare and housing and a variety of different things. And so I'm feeling really enraged about that today. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, and also, it's been a, a crazy morning because a lot of um, explosive packages showed up at various places across um at various offices and and homes. Um, And the Clintons and the Obamas and George Soros and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the CNN headquarters um, so far have been uh, on the list. And it's just a – it feels wild right now. Um, But I think that one of the things that can be really grounding – is hearing from people that are out there with their heads down doing the work. And um, that's the kind of people that I'm talking to on the podcast today. Um, As you know, I'm interviewing women who are running for office and um, some other special guests who are doing really cool and important work around voting. And so I'm really thrilled to have Christine Hallquist join me today and then Catherine Vaughn um, join me a little bit later. So uh, let's dig into my interview with Christine. Christine Hawquist is the Democratic candidate for governor of Vermont and has been a Vermont resident since 1976. Prior to running for governor, Christine worked for many years at Vermont Electric Cooperative, where she eventually rose to CEO in 2005. And in that role, she in- empowered the company's employees to turn around VEC's finances and also transform VEC into a national leader on using renewable sources of electricity production to combat climate change. She served in many different... Con- sorry. She served in many different community leadership roles as well, including chairing the Sterling Area Services Mental Health Board and serving on the Hyde Park School Board. Christine is the first openly transgender major party nominee for governor in the United States, a distinction that has taken on an even more important status in the last couple of days. And I'm so thrilled to have her join me on the Pantsuit Nation podcast today. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Um, So I have spent a little time working in Vermont, and one thing that really stood out to me about Vermont state politics is just how critical energy and climate experience and knowledge is to candidates who are running for office. Can you tell me a little bit about why Vermonters are really at the forefront of being climate-conscious voters? Well, I think we, you know, we recognize that, uh, you know, Vermont depends heavily on the outdoor recreation economy, and... um, uh, changing the climate is really going to be devastating for us. You know, we, we look at the uh, fact that we're, you know, the number one producer of ma- you know, maple products in the nation. Uh, we have uh, dep- heavily dependent on snow in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the changing seasons, our, 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 our uh, flora and fauna is, is going to shift dramatically. Um, so I think because Vermonters are so focused on outdoor recreation, we know how, just how bad this can be for us. 
Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And you have worked in the energy sector for a long time um, and also served your community in a variety of ways. And I'm wondering what led you to make the decision to step into the governor's race and how your deep knowledge of how you can use energy to achieve some of those climate goals um, are factoring into your plans for Vermont. Well, you know, this was definitely not my career path. My passion (laughs) was to solve climate change. Uh, That's what I was working on. We're making great progress. We're a wonderful state to be able to do that uh, because we are, you know, the state overall is very committed towards uh, coming to a complete renewable economy. Mm. But, of course, the events of November 9th, 2016 changed everything for me. And, uh, you know, after watching what happened in 2017, and seeing that our, our Republican governor was following the same tactics as the national GOP, mm. I just couldn't sit back any, any longer. Um, and, you know, not only my skills in terms of uh, solving climate change is going to be critical to the office, I also spent um, 10 years nationally working with rural America, mm. and two-thirds of Vermont is rural. And so I know just what we need to do in order to change the the uh, rural economy and grow the rural economy again. I think it's very important that we talk to rural voters and help help our our rural partners because it's uh, they're suffering. Absolutely. Can you speak a little bit more to that? I think we're um, so often focused on uh, cities and the issues that are facing high-density population areas, but rural areas are facing really specific and um, frightening conditions under the continued Republican policies. So tell me a little bit more about what Vermonters are facing. Well, Vermonters are a microcosm of rural America. Um, we've been seeing increasing rates of poverty, aging demographics, and flights to the city. Um, and, you know, we saw the same thing in the 1930s when the cities had electricity and rural America did not. Today, we know it's the digital divide. Um, you know, we have a, a, a copper infrastructure that, used, that was used for telephones that is wholly inadequate to, to help uh, rural Vermonters and rural Americans um, participate in the 21st century economy. So, which is why it's so critical that we're going to connect every home and business with fiber optic cable in Vermont so we can be connected at the same speed as the cities. And, of course, Vermont has plenty of opportunity. Um, we're the healthiest state in the union. We're the safest state. We have the highest education performance. We have awesome views and pretty awesome people. So we have a, a real uh, recipe for incredible success but you're not going to see businesses or young people go to rural areas if they can't get connected. That is so critical. And I think one of the really interesting things that I hear you talking about is um, how what I'm hearing is how Vermont could really be a model for other states that have these rural populations. They're looking to bring people there to to work, to work in the kinds of economies that you're building in rural areas. Um, and yeah, that, that digital divide is, um, it's devastating. I mean, even I, I used to live in Western Massachusetts and it's not, you know, there's some parts of it that you can feel the same kind of thing. So um, it's really refreshing actually to hear you um, focusing on that that so specifically in your in your campaign. Yeah, I will also tell you, I, I, I really, after 2016 election, you know, I had to do some strong examination to say, how did the Democrats lose the rural voters? Mm. I think we lost the rural voters because we stopped talking to them. Mm. Um, 
And, you know, when you leave, and, you, when, and, you know, some of these areas are devastated. Uh, you know, while my focus, and Vermont's focus, has been to move to a fossil fuel-free economy, uh, meanwhile, the displaced workers in coal country uh, have no safety nets. You know, there's no health care. Uh, there's no plan for their future. So we basically uh, disrupt whole families, communities in, in uh, places like rural Kentucky. And, uh, of course, people become desperate. And, of course, I, I would argue that desperate people vote for best box. Mm. I, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I think you're really tapping into something that is part of what will hopefully um, move the needle in the recognition of which politicians are really working for um, rural interests, um, not just recognizing which party is trying to think that way, but actually getting politicians to be moving more in that direction, um, recognizing that those populations are just as critical. Um, so I, I feel like it's a really important time to be lifting up that message as we're looking especially to um, get state level races to, to go blue. Um, and that's, that's really the important place to be um, making those kind of connections with rural voters. Yes, I agree. And I will also tell you, you know, this, we, we, we uh, you know, I'm part of the LGBT population. Um, but in Vermont, you know, our focus has to be to help people of color. Mm. Um, but, but, and I talk about that because what, what we all have to understand from our, from our individual communities is we have to take care of everybody. You can't leave anybody out of the equation. You can't, you know, I, I think too often especially from the Republican side, you present things as a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. You know, your, 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 your win is my loss. Right. But that, I don't believe that's the case at all. I'm a big believer that we pull together, we all grow, and, and we, we can do some pretty great things. But if we leave people out, um, it, it, that's not, that's not going to be productive. The most productive thing we can do is, is pay attention to everyone. I could not agree with you more, and I am going to pivot a little bit to what's been coming out of the administration in the last couple of days, and I read you had some pretty choice words for the Trump administration. I believe you said that uh, you'd open a can of whoop-ass if you were voted into office, which I have to say I am really here for and in support of. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the implications of this discriminatory policy to essentially erase um, transgender people. Yeah, well, so, you know, I look at what, what Donald Trump is doing. It's, it's, I really fear that we've got another Adolf Hitler on our hands. Mm. You know, the same thing, if you look at what Adolf Hitler did in 1933, the first group he started to target the concentration camps was, was transgender individuals. Mm. And I think Americans should know that when, when a leader decides to wipe out an entire class of people, nobody should feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're, I'm afraid we're seeing a repeat of history. I, I do believe we are under that serious a threat. Um, and, you know, and I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be, uh, you know, I, I would rather be in the first targeted population and uh, be, be one that rises up and takes action than be one that's sitting on the sidelines. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be, I'm proud to be, uh, somebody that Trump uh, that hate that you know Trump hates, mm. but uh, you know because because you know I, I will tell you 
you know, two years ago I was in Australia before Trump got elected, and they asked me the question, well, you know, do you fear for the LGBT community? And I said, no, because Trump's going to have to come through me first. Mm. So uh, I, I had no idea I would end up here in this fight. And, of course, that's not the reason I'm here. I'm running as governor for Vermont. For Vermont. Right. But it's amazing what's happened in terms of the change uh, that's happening at the national level. Absolutely. That was definitely one of the, um, well, first of all, I just, I, I love that. I, I have these moments on the podcast where I get, um, I get goosebumps and I have to say it because obviously people can't see, <laughs> but, um, the idea that, that Trump will have to come through you first, I think, um, more and more people are, um, are rising and, and finding themselves in that position. And so I think it's, um, I just, I really appreciate hearing you say that and and what it looks like to have turned that into a rallying cry when that wasn't necessarily, you know, at all part of why you are running for governor. Um, and I think that we we find ourselves in a really important moment where um, that, that coalition building that you're talking about, that standing for one another, um, because we value what a diverse society looks like and can bring um, is so critical. And I, I just, I'm, I'm really, really, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really heartening to be having this conversation with you about all of these topics. Um, I was wondering, so just before I let you go, since I know that you are very busy, um, on your, uh, on the campaign trail, um, I was wondering what, as you look around right now on, on challenging days and in challenging times, what is giving you hope? What do you turn to when you really need a boost? Oh, I will tell you that it's, I don't, I I don't find myself in a negative place at all. Mm. I am so, um, I'm so energized by the support I've received here in Vermont, across the nation and across the world. Um, you know, of course, as you're, you know, I like to say that, you know, we're, we're widely the moral compass. Mm. Um, and, um, and of course, whenever you do that, there are going to be people that, that uh, for, for one reason or another, are going to be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do believe, you know, it gets darkest before the dawn. I do believe that 2018 is going to go down in history as the year we all rose up and, and democracy survived the death spot. Mm. Um, that, so that's what keeps me going. That is amazing and exactly the message that I needed to hear today. <laughs> um, so, Christine, where can our listeners learn more about your campaign and follow you on social media? Well, just our, our website is christineforvermont.com. I'll spell out. Um, we, we're uh, Christine. Christine for BT on uh, Twitter, um, and of course, uh, Christine Hopeless on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Christine. I am rooting for you down here in Massachusetts and uh, contacting all of my Vermont friends and making sure that they get out there and vote for you and knock doors for you. Um, so good luck to you. Yeah, actually, we're going to be down in Massachusetts this weekend oh. speaking out against Proposition 3. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Massachusetts so. is um, 
Massachusetts is is trying to remove protections for transgender people, and uh, this state is not going to stand for it. I actually just printed out a little sign to stick on my apartment door um, just to give you know my little corner of the world some information about what uh, how we should be voting to uphold the rights of trans transgender people. So um, I'm thank you for coming to my state to represent um, the the rights of uh, everyone in Massachusetts. So I appreciate that very much. And and again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Christine. You're welcome. Christine is such an exciting candidate up in Vermont. I cannot stress enough that um, her experience and the way that she looks at what Vermonters need is just so refreshing to hear. So I really hope that if you're listening to this in or near Vermont, you can get up there, knock some doors, and help her out. Um, now let's listen into my conversation with um, Catherine Vaughn of Flippable. Catherine Vaughn is the CEO and co-founder of Flippable, an organization focused on flipping state legislatures from red to blue. Prior to starting Flippable, Catherine was a Clinton campaign staffer in Ohio, and she has so much to tell us about why her work is so critical. So welcome to the Pansy Nation podcast, Catherine. Thank you so much, Courtney. It's great to be here. So state legislatures, when you were founding Flippable, um, why did you decide to focus there? Great question. So as you mentioned, I was on the Hillary Clinton campaign in Ohio, um, working my heart out. Actually, my job was about bringing people from other states, um, from blue states who were interested in getting involved in the campaign um, to Ohio. And there was all of this energy. I kind of had this sense, as I'm sure you did as well, of what the resistance would look like before it even really happened. Um, and, you know, we saw some amazing victories. Obviously, Ohio did not go the way that we wanted it to. Um, it was a purple state that went red in the 2016 election. Um, but Clinton made some really great gains in certain um, counties and districts. And we actually saw that a lot of the state legislative candidates that were running in those same districts were not doing as well. Um, and it was because mm -hmm. over the past several decades, Democrats have really not paid as much attention to state legislative elections as they should, given the incredibly large impact that state governments have um, on things like redistricting, on voting rights or voter suppression, um, and on just all of the policies that affect our lives from reproductive rights to the environment to labor rights, you name it. Um, and, we, you know, we were in this state that had traditionally been really, really competitive in presidential races. That was a purple state that had voted for Obama twice. Um, mm. And yet the state House and state Senate had gotten redder and redder. Um, when we returned to Ohio a month after the election um, to do some recruiting, to talk to people about flippable, um, I was there when um, the state House and state Senate proposed two bills one that was a 20-week abortion ban and one that was a six-week abortion ban. Um, and Whoa. so, you know, we were just seeing the um, ramifications of state policy playing out before our eyes um, in a state that got a lot of attention for other types of races but just wasn't getting as much love for state legislative races. Um, that is, I think, such a critical point that is so often lost when the news tends to focus so much on the national level. Um, I was actually just having this conversation about Massachusetts, which is a place that has a very strange, I mean, it's obviously very blue, um, but mm -hmm. our governors are often Republicans and yeah. our state legislatures are not necessarily the kind of 
bastion of progressive policy that you would expect from a state like Massachusetts that on the national level is is making that kind of impact. Um, So even in the places that you kind of feel comfortable in, this is a really critical um, thing that that we need to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I live in New York, and a lot of people didn't know that the New York State Senate um, was controlled by Republicans um, because of this rogue group of Democrats that called themselves the Independent Democratic Committee, but really were voting with Republicans. Um, but also because we had kind of lost sight of voting true blue Democrats into the state Senate. And so as a right. result, you have this really, really kind of um, retrograde legislation on things like reproductive rights. Um, our uh, reproductive health legislation predates Roe v. Wade and it's written into the criminal code. Um, wow. And on things like voting, where we have two different, we have two different primaries for congressional races and for state races. Um, we don't have automatic voter registration. It's really, really hard to register to actually vote in the state of New York. Um, and so, you know, groups alongside us are working really hard to flip New York State Senate blue this year. That's awesome. I, um, yeah, the the New York primary system is like scrambles my brain um, every time I remember that there's two different dates. So um, yeah, absolutely. That's so critical. Um, So one of the other things that I think has been a trend um, in the last couple of years is that women are stepping up in a really big way from the founding organizations like you and I did um, to running for office themselves. And I know that Flippable has some really exciting people that you're thrilled to support that fall under that category of sort of like uh, women that are kicking butt but not necessarily getting recognition for it. So do you have any, anybody you want to, like, brag about <laughs> while you have a oh chance? Oh, my God. So many people. We're supporting over 130 candidates this year. 90 of them are oh, women. That's awesome. Um, and that's not because we went out of our way to choose women. Uh, it's because they went out of their way to run this year, and mm-hmm. they are totally kicking butt um, in primaries, and I know they're going to flip a ton of seats in the general elections. Um, I wish I could talk about all of them. I'll talk about a few um, who I've had the pleasure of meeting recently. Um, So I was down in Florida last week, and um, I met a candidate for state house that we're supporting, Centrist Driscoll, um, who just has this incredible story about growing up as the daughter of a public school teacher, um, and her dad worked for Publix, the grocery train, um, Mm -hmm. working really, really hard, one of four daughters. Um, eventually being her class president in high school and um, getting into Harvard and being the first person from her high school to get into Harvard. Um, And she talked about how her teachers really came together um, to try to fundraise as much as possible and find her as many scholarships as possible so that her family could afford to send her to Harvard. Um, When she was there, she was the first black uh, female student government president at Harvard, and then she ended up going into law, becoming a lawyer, has a great job as you know, a partner at a corporate law firm. Um, but after 2016, um, you know, she'd always had this inkling that she wanted to run for office, um, but she said, oh, maybe I'll do that later in life. And I think the 2016 election really kind of changed her mind and, and made her determined to run this year. So she's running in Tampa. Um, just an incredible story. And I think what was so great about her story, too, is just thinking about how important public education was to her. Um, That's her main issue is what she's most passionate about. Um, And, you know, you compare these stories of these teachers who have, you know, for decades been such a foundation in people's lives, um, coming together to support their students. Um, And then you kind of contrast that with what's going on now where teachers have to have like second and third and fourth jobs just to support themselves. 
Um, you know, they are doing things like selling their plasma to, you know, to be able to make ends meet. Um, and they're mm-hmm. so underappreciated by our government, given the incredible work that they do um, to shape the next generation of leaders. Um, and so that was a really resonant story for me. Um, we have tons well, of other yeah. women candidates. I can go on forever, but <laughs> I'm sure you have other too. Yeah, that's um, – I – I'm digesting how incredible that story is as um, as you've told it to me. But one of the other things that really stands out to me is um, how community forward um, the story is. That is really about a, a family and a community of teachers and, and that really it's a um, – a woman who is now returning to that community that was so supportive to say, you know, this is this is now my time to to give back to this community and and make sure that other people feel the support that I did. And um, I just I love that so much. And I feel like it's really indicative of a lot of the ways that female candidates think about why they step up to run for office. I couldn't agree more. I think, and we're seeing that across the board, and especially for state legislative races, um, because these are not the kind of like glorious offices where you get to fly to DC every week. You're going to be on the news. (laughs) It's not as sexy. It's literally just rolling up your sleeves and doing the work, which I think women tend to be really good at. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have all these candidates. Um, Maria Collette is another example. Um, She's running for state Senate in Pennsylvania. I love her tagline. It's listening, leading. I love the idea that like a leader Mm. talks about listening as a key characteristic. And she started out um, as a, an advocate, as a legal advocate for children. She ended up making a mid-career switch to become a nurse. Um, and so she's had all of these different experiences where she has been a public servant. She has been a leader. She's served people in her community. And I think those experiences really um, convinced her that she needs to go serve in the legislature because policy affects you know, legal issues that families face as well as health issues that families face. Um, and she's the right person to do that because she's been there for years serving her community. That's so amazing. So one of the things I'm sure that our listeners are wondering as they're hearing about these amazing candidates um, and probably like looking up what their own state legislature candidates are, <laughs> um, who they are, what, is the, what are some of the best ways for people to get involved with state level campaigns at this stage in the game? Yeah, I think the first step is just showing up. Um, you'll be amazed. You can actually have access to the candidate if you go to a state Senate or state House candidate's office um, to volunteer. Like I was at Margaret Good. She's a candidate that we represent or that we supported um, back in February in a special election. She actually won on February 13th, drove up to Tallahassee on the 14th, um, was sworn in. And that day is the day that the Parkland shooting happened. Um, oh my God. She has an incredible story as well. So, I mean, that wow. if, if any, like that more than anything convinced her that this job was just so important and she had such a huge responsibility. Um, but anyway, she's running for re-election and I showed up at her campaign office last Friday at about 3.30 and there were all of these high school students there who were phone banking, these 14-year-olds who were speaking just so eloquently um, about why they were supporting Margaret, why she's such a great candidate. The office was filled with people. And Margaret was there. And she, you know, did a little back and forth with us so that we could, you know, better understand what her needs were. But she was there kind of doing the work. Um, And so 
it's so meaningful when you show up, you meet the candidate, you talk with them about what is, you know, how they are positioning their campaign, and then you can go out and knock on doors. And when you're, and the great thing about it is you're knocking on doors for a state house or a state senate candidate, um, and you're talking about their policies, and you can say, you know, I just spoke to Margaret, and I know right. that she's really, really passionate about education and kids' safety, and she knows that arming teachers is not the way to, to get there. Um, and then you can also talk about candidates up the ballot. So you're benefiting candidates like Andrew Gillum as well. Um, but I think it's really exciting to be able to say, like, oh, you care about this issue? I'll go and take it back to the candidate. <laughs> like, I'll tell, I'll tell her that that's what you're really passionate about. Um, and it's right. just a very different form of volunteering and canvassing when you know the candidate. Absolutely. I think if you're one of those people that um, – you know, feels a little strange about like sending your money out into the ether and not quite understanding like what happens when it gets to a candidate um, that showing up at a local office and exactly like seeing how the process works and being able to hear. I love that like I'm going to take this back to, to her. Like, what a cool thing to be able to do, um, which is not something that you necessarily have the opportunity to do um, when you're working on a national yeah. campaign. Um, so that, that just sounds um, – yeah, that, that's awesome. And your you know, time is not up. People can go out and, and do that now and, and get excited about state legislature candidates, um, even as we just have a couple of weeks left before the election in November. So um, I think that's Absolutely. really, really good advice. Um, so tell me where our listeners can find more information about the work that Flippable is doing, follow you on social media and learn more. Sure. Yeah, so we're at flippable.org. Um, you can learn about our 130 plus candidates there. You can see the states that we're targeting this year. We're not able to be in all 50 states yet, um, but there are a lot of really, really amazing candidates that you can follow um, and also just advice to get involved in your own state legislature. We're on Twitter at flippable underscore org and on Facebook and Instagram at flippable org. Um, yeah, I think that's that about covers it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Catherine. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just going to give you a chance. Is there any, do you have any more uh, candidate stories that you just want to tell right before we uh, close out? So, yeah. So I have one more story. So Faith Winter is a candidate in Colorado. And Colorado, you might think of as a really blue state. Um, you know, it has legalized marijuana. It, you know, has a lot of those kind of progressive policies. They have really, really great reproductive health policies, um, have, you know, basically given any 16-year-old who wants it an IUD. Um, and they've seen a tremendous drop in teen pregnancies. Um, really wow. amazing state in a lot of ways. Um, but the state Senate is still controlled by Republicans. Um, so Faith Winter, she's been serving in elected office since 2005. Um, she was on her city council, she was mayor pro tem, and she's been in the state house. And as she's been in the state house, she has uh, proposed all of this legislation that passes the house and then it gets held up in the Senate. Um, and it's even just the choice of words in the legislation will mean that something gets held up. Like you can't use the phrase affordable housing, that doesn't pass with Republicans. You can't use the phrase solar energy. Um, so she's now running for state Senate um, to undo that situation to flip her seat and flip the Senate. Yeah. Um, Colorado just needs one seat to flip and the whole state will be blue. Um, wow. So she's, she's just really amazing in my mind because she has this encyclopedic knowledge about how things get done in Colorado. She's 
served so many different offices. Um, and so it's really exciting to see her, you know, move to that next level where she can really have an impact. Um, and then one other thing about her is that um, she was actually um, one of four or five women legislators in Colorado who brought up a Me Too case against one of their colleagues. Um, mm. And she was successful. They were successful in ousting him from the state house because he had um, sexually, or sexually harassed multiple women um, in the chamber. And there was an independent investigation that found that all of these allegations were credible. Um, her opponent is, is a woman who's serving in state Senate, who's a Republican. Um, she had the opportunity to vote on a Me Too related case in the Senate, um, where there were actually even more allegations and the investigation was found like as credible as the state house one. And she voted not to expel this member. And when asked about it, she said, I did that because my party leaders told me to vote that way. Um, and wow. so there's a lot of issues, kind of intersecting issues here. Um, mm -hmm. But there's this, you know, there's the Republican Party line on sexual harassment. And then there's having courage and stepping up and doing what you need to do um, when you've been a victim. And so I think that those stories are just really powerful. Um, and, you know, I think really telling about where we are in this political moment. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for bringing um, a, a little bit of a look into some of the people that Flippable is supporting in these elections. I think it really helps to add some depth and understanding to the kind of work that you're doing and also just get people really excited about state legislature candidates. So um, thank you again for being on the podcast with me today. Thank you. Best of luck this season. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Bye now. Thanks. Bye. This week's Pantsuit Nation podcast is brought to you by Care Of. Care Of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamins and supplement packets right to your door. You take a really fun online quiz asking you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices, and it takes only five minutes to find out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. Your vitamins get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs, which are perfect for a busy, on-the-go lifestyle. And you can pick vegan and vegetarian supplement options to match your dietary needs. I really enjoyed taking the super easy quiz because it gave me a chance to think about what choices I wanted to make and then introduced me to some new supplements that come in these great personalized packets that actually have little inspirational quotes on them, which make them even more fun to take. So for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code Pantsuit. Again, that's 25% off of your first month of personalized, super cool, right for you and your healthy lifestyle vitamins at Take careof.com, enter promo code pantsuit. So thank you again to Catherine and Christine for coming on the show today. And now it is time for uh, the call to action, which of course is a voter registration roundup. So um, we've got just a few more states with registrations coming up. Iowa's registration deadline is October 27th, um, but Election Day registration is available at your regular polling place. Um, October 29th is when Colorado's registration is um, the deadline. However, you can register in 
in person at a voter service and polling center during early voting period or on election day. Um, October 30th is the deadline in Connecticut. However, election day registration is available at your local election office. Um, as I mentioned last week, New Hampshire has a number of different um, deadlines that vary by town. So from the 24th of October to the 31st. Um, so definitely check out your own town's website to find that out or go to vote.org and find out, put in your zip code and you'll be able to find out your registration deadline. Um, however, across New Hampshire, there is election registration, election day registration available at your regular polling place. And then finally, in Vermont, uh, registration deadline is November 6th, with of which, of course, is election day. So you can register right at the polls on election day. And remember that um, getting people out to vote is just as critical as voting yourself, if not more. Um, so go to thelastweekend.org and make sure that you're signing up for shifts to work to get out the vote in the weekend before election day. We can go right up the weekend before the Monday, the, the day of on Tuesday. Um, and together we can really make a difference in midterms. Turnout is already up and I really want to see us um, be a part of an incredible surge in uh, midterm voting turnout. So uh, get out there. This week's Pansy Nation podcast is brought to you by Care Of. Care Of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamins and supplement packets right to your door. You take a really fun online quiz asking you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices, and it takes only five minutes to find out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. Your vitamins get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs, which are perfect for a busy, on-the-go lifestyle. And you can pick vegan and vegetarian supplement options to match your dietary needs. I really enjoyed taking the super easy quiz because it gave me a chance to think about what choices I wanted to make and then introduced me to some new supplements that come in these great personalized packets that actually have little inspirational quotes on them, which make them even more fun to take. So for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code Pantsuit. Again, that's 25% off of your first month of personalized, super cool, right for you and your healthy lifestyle vitamins at Take takecareof.com, enter promo code pantsuit. All right, so now it is time for the Golden Pantsuit, and um, those of you who listen to the show know that I often ask our guests what is making them happy, sustaining them, and um, this week I decided to give the Golden Pantsuit to someone who does that for me. So this week's Golden Pantsuit goes to Mama Cax, and this is a woman I follow on Instagram. I do not know her. <laughs> we are not friends, um, but I just find her Instagram so um, exciting and beautiful, and um, she's a model. She is an amputee, and she is a world traveler. Traveler, and her Instagram is just colorful and she has just this unapologetic take on life that always makes me excited to get out and explore the world and really bring myself into the world just as I am. So um, let's hear a little bit from Mama Cax. I just got the idea, you know, what if I just showed who I actually am? Just a little bit of metal. I think I have maybe 15 of them. D different colors, different designs and one of my favorites is actually painted with chalkboard paint. So whenever I meet like kids who get super curious, we're like staring a little bit too long, so I just invite them to come over and write something on it. Where I enter a building, the first thing I think about is, is this place accessible? And that's because I need those things. Oftentimes, when we talk about diversity, disability is not taken into that equation. We look at, you know, ethnicity, we look at body type, um, gender, sexual orientation, 
It's very rare that we think of disability as just an aspect of diversity in general. People with disabilities are the largest group of marginalized people, so there is, you know, a huge community out there that's being left out. The older I get, I realize that beauty, it has no rules. It transcends race, it transcends body type. It doesn't matter if I gain or lose weight or, you know, get darker in the summer. It doesn't change the fact that I'm beautiful. So I just love her um, attitude that she brings to her Instagram. She's absolutely fabulous, total fashion icon. Um, I do not do as cool of fashion things as she does, but um, I aspire to someday. So thank you so much, Mama Cax, for being part of what keeps me going when I need a boost. Um, if you also want to follow her, you can follow her at, at Mama Cax, that's M-A-M-A-C-A-X-X, on Instagram and enjoy for yourself. That brings us to the end of the Pantsuit Nation podcast this week. Um, thank you so much to our guests, Christine Hallquist and Catherine Vaughn, to our sponsor, Care Of, and of course, to our team at Cadence 13, who helped to bring you this podcast. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. It really helps people find us. Um, and visit us at pantsuitnation.org. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pantsuit Nation. And uh, get on our Facebook Messenger platform. We're really trying to reach as many people to get out the book so you can go to our Facebook page and click sign up and we'll be back next week and until then please do always remember that this democracy is of course your democracy so stay engaged